all stand today. We're going to do our our course today. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Let's do this together today, all right? Lifting up our voices. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. And that's the reason why I love him so. For Jesus is the sweetest name I know. I always want to say for instead of oh. Okay, I'll try to get that right this time. Let's go ahead and do it one more time here and we'll see what the Lord has for us. Ready? Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. And that's the reason why I love him so. Oh, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Wow, that is a sweet name. I messed it up again, though. I was like, oh, that didn't work too good. But anyway, it says here that he's just the same as his lovely name, and that's the reason why I love him so. You know, he never changes, does he? He never changes. He's consistent. He's constant. And what a blessing it is to be a child of God and know that we have a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God that had the power to save us is the same God that has the power to secure us and to ultimately land us safely on that shore in heaven one day. And for that, we're eternally grateful and we're thankful. What a lovely name, the name of Jesus. Let's sing it together, would you? Jesus is the sweetest name I know And he's just the same as his lovely name And that's the reason why I love him so Oh, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Thank you. You may be seated. We have our silent singers now. They're going to come and share with us today. children 
Go ahead and take your Bibles today, if you would. Turn to John chapter 8, please. John chapter 8 today. It was just, um, I don't know, probably, let's see, about three months ago or so, uh, one of the singles presented me with a uh, book. It's uh, The Holy Grail of Gyron. One of our singles is named Gyron, and he handed me this wonderful book, and um, in it are just some amazingly corny, stupid, and unbelievable little jokes and antics. And so this morning, I was sharing from the Holy Grail of Gyron, and uh, some of the singles thought that a couple of these were really worth sharing with you. So we're going to go ahead and share a couple of them. First of all... Why, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to, well, no, I, I, let me see here. Uh, I'm getting a little bit of rain, guys. You can check on that, but let me save that one for last, right? The, right, singles? I'll save that one. Okay, why did the chicken choose to play a percussion instrument? Because she already had drumsticks. <laughs> you like that, see? That's good stuff, huh? Okay, you like that one. Good, good. I, I like that one, too. All right, um, oh, oh, here you go. Here you go. Here's a good one. Why did the umpire throw the chicken out of the baseball game? Why did the umpire throw the chicken out of the baseball game? He suspected foul play. There you go. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay, how about this one? Why can't a well, wait, why can't a chicken coop have more than two doors? Because if it had four doors, it would be a chicken sedan. This is, we endure these every week. Okay, finally, listen to this one. Here you go. We saved the best for last now. Drum roll, please. No, I'm just teasing. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Why did the chicken cross the road, roll in the dirt, and then cross the road again? Because he was a dirty double crosser. All right. That was as good as they get right there. I don't want to lose my place, so I better mark it real quick, because, I mean, these are really, you know, special. All right. Don't be... Now, nobody come up here later and try to get a hold of the Holy Grail of Gyron, all right? This is, this is extremely, extremely, extremely holy. Okay. Now, here we go. John 8.36. All right? John 8.30. We're glad you could be here today. Again, we have just a short time together, but we're going to try to make it profitable today. John chapter 8. Thank you, ladies. That was good. We enjoyed that. That special... Of course, during the offering, and then, then for the silent singers to get up here and share, that was a blessing, and we certainly appreciate the work and the effort that they put in. Choir, that song was spot on. Great job. We appreciate that. Again, uh, let's go ahead and John chapter 8, verse 36, a very basic, simple verse. It simply says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. What an appropriate passage for this time of year with Independence Day. 
But it says simply, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You know, the founding fathers, along with the colonists, had grown very weary of the oppression of British rule. British rule without representation. So they had become very weary of that. They had felt that Britain's stranglehold uh, had been there too long, long enough, if you will, and they were determined to break free from the oppressive entity. However, that would be easier said than done. The Founding Fathers were keenly aware of the struggle and the battle that would ensue. So, a year before the Declaration of Independence would be signed, a committee was formed, comprised of a man by the name of Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, John Dickinson, and John Jay. They were charged to uh, compose a document in justification of raising an army of troops. And so Jefferson, he penned the first draft. He began the work. And then the others began to refine that work and fine-tune it until finally on July the 6th, 1775, the Declaration of the Causes and Necessities of Taking Up Arms was passed by Congress. It goes on to say, quote, We are reduced to the alternative of choosing an unconditional submission to the tyranny of irritated ministers or resistance by force. Our cause is just. We fought, fight not for glory or for conquest. We exhibit to mankind the remarkable spectacle of a people attacked by unprovoked enemies without imputation or even suspicion of offenses. Not long after, Congress voted to raise that army of 20,000 men. And they even began to purchase the needed muskets, bayonets, and other arms necessary. John Adams, of course, was a little concerned. He realized that the colonies were basically at a disadvantage at least on the open seas. So he proposed that America begin a navy. And of course, that too was adopted. Just one year later, on July the 4th, 1776, Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence and sent it to the printer. But it wouldn't be until September the 3rd, 1783, seven years later, after a long and bloody war, that the Treaty of Paris would be signed by the United States and Great Britain officially ended the war. I mean, can you imagine that? Seven years after the Declaration of Independence was signed, put into place, it would not finally be realized or recognized till seven years later as far as their true independence. So, officially declaring independence from Great Britain was one thing then. But realizing and recognizing that and defending that declaration was a total another story. The real battle began after declaring independence. They had to defend that declaration. We're going to say we're going to uh, create a declaration of independence, guys. Okay, let's all sign it. We all agree. We're going to be free. But it was seven years later before they were really free from the tyranny of Britain. A tremendous battle. Lives lost. 2,000 years ago, Christ declared independence from sin and Satan. He fought the battle. He won. He gave His life that you and I might go free. In the book of 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57, the Bible says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we already read John eight thirty six that said, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And although the battle for our souls has been fought and won by Jesus Christ, the battle of our liberty continues to be waged on a regular, continual basis. The enemy, Satan, continues to oppose and oppress those who would seek to be truly free from his bondage and enslavement. The fact is, is that he desires to dictate. He desires to daily direct your steps. He wants to rule you, and he wants to ultimately destroy you. He wants to set your course in life. He wants to plot your plan. He wants to guide your steps. He wants to as we said, rule you. 
He would like to hold you captive. He wants to bind you with his chains of sin. And although you may be saved, although you may be sure of heaven, may I say you must constantly, continually, always resist the enemy if you wish to remain free from his oppression and rule in your life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, the Bible says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The fact is, is that we came to Christ, and as a result of His liberating act on Calvary, the price was paid, liberation purchased in that sense, or should I say freedom purchased, but we have to recognize and realize that freedom We make decisions and choices each day, whether to succumb to Satan or whether to yield to Christ. In John 6, 13, the Bible says, The Bible says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So there is a decision we make, a choice that we make on a regular basis as to who we will yield to. Yes, indeed, that declaration was penned. That declaration was signed in blood by Jesus Christ. There is no doubt that we have the ability, the opportunity to be free indeed. But the fact is, is that you and I today, as believers, as children of God and the family of God, choose if we will either yield to Christ, our head, or if we will yield to Satan, who seeks to bind us. There is a constant battle raging. And even as the founding fathers saw the need to declare independence, we too must consciously wage war and resist the enemy of our souls. It is a constant battle. It is not something that just goes away. It's not something that just ceases to exist. It is always there. Whether you are aware of it or not, there is a battle always brewing and a battle always being fought. There are choices to be made every single day, every single moment of our life as to who we will yield to, as to whether we will continue to be bound by Satan or we will be free indeed. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's that first, there's that aspect of submitting ourselves to God. We submit ourselves to God. We then resist the devil. It's twofold. We submit, then we resist. And that is the whole Christian life. A life of submission and resistance. Just because I submit myself in a service to Christ, just because I may come to an altar even and say, Lord, I surrender my all to you. It doesn't mean that I can get up then and just go on with my life without worry. No, I know that the moment I get off my knees from that altar, the moment I've made my commitment to Christ, the moment I've surrendered my all to Jesus, the devil will be on my shoulder, the devil will be in my business, the devil will be trying to trip me up and ultimately bind me. It's a battle. He is our adversary. And although he cannot, he cannot have our soul, he wants our life. In 1 Peter 5, 8, turn there if you would please. 1 Peter, all the way toward the end of the Bible. It's the book right before 2 Peter. I thought I might give you a hand finding it. (laughs) 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. That word sober meaning uh, sober-minded, not sober in the sense that you're not drinking. However, if you're drinking, you're not a clear mind. You're sober-minded, serious-minded. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I don't know about you, but if I was in Africa today, and I was walking about, and I saw, if I saw a lion or heard the roar of a lion, I'd be on guard. 
I mean, if I heard that roar, I'd be like, uh-oh, there's a lion around here. I need to be careful. I mean, where's he at? I'd be looking everywhere. I'd be very sober, serious-minded. I'd be very vigilant to make sure that he didn't, couldn't sneak up on me or that he could not attack me somehow. I'd have my eyes open. I'd be walking circumspectly according to Ephesians 5. I'd want to make sure that I was safe. And may I say today that Satan is a roaring lion, and he walks about seeking whom he may devour, and he wants to devour you, the child of God. He wants to wreck your life. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to drag you through the muck and the mire of this wicked, sinful world in which we live. We ought to be on guard. We need to be sober, be vigilant. Because our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Again, his ultimate goal is to devour. The devil would have you destroyed. In John 10, 10. Turn there, if you would, please. John chapter 10, verse 10. What a tremendous passage this is. I must admit, in my life, there's been times where I have failed to truly recognize the, 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 the serious nature of this battle. I mean, I, I find myself kind of lulled into a false sense of security. I find myself, if I'm not careful, seeing problems and situations, but if they're not too close to home, sometimes it doesn't seem so real. It's like watching the news and seeing the horrible things that are taking place in the lives of others. But as long as it doesn't touch me and mine, it's not really as real as it ought to be. May I say that Satan is working in your life, your family, in your relationships. He may have, have not truly brought the house down yet. But let me tell you something. His teeth are sharp and his claws will tear. And he does seek to devour you. And he's waiting for the right opportunity to get a stronghold or a foothold in your life personally, ultimately in your home and your family. Let me tell you, you're in a battle and so am I. We must be very serious about this matter. John 10.10 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now that thief is none other than Satan. And we know that from the context of the passage. It goes on in this passage then to show a um, comparison. Notice it says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We know that the second half is Christ himself saying, I'm coming, the Lord Jesus, that they might have life, that they might have it, life, more abundant. God wants you to have a full life. God wants you to have a joy-filled life. God wants you to have a life of substance. But that first person spoken of, this guy, this thief, what does a thief do? He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. May I say that's exactly what he does, and that is who Satan is. Sadly enough, I've buried men and women in their 40s with cirrhosis of the liver, and that cirrhosis of the liver was caused by a lifelong addiction to alcohol. I mean, the devil, he had no mercy on them at all. He had no concern about them and their well-being, their family, their feelings. He could care less about them. He, instead, he offered them his very best up front. He said, oh, you can have a good time. Oh, look, this won't hurt you. This will just make you a little bit more alive and more acceptable in the par at the party. And as a young man or a young lady, they tried alcohol and they said, it fit me good and I enjoyed it and it made me come alive and I wasn't so timid and shy and I had friends and others to hang out with and we did things and it was a good time. Yes, it was a good time, but there is pleasure in sin for a season. But friend, let me tell you, it catches up and the consequences ultimately eat you up. And may I say there is no doubt that it is Satan himself to deceive you, to lie to you, to cause you to take that first drink and ultimately become one step closer to the grave. He's great at painting a rosy, happy picture of sin, but hiding the true grotesque sin that it is in the end of it. Only 7% of AIDS cases reported in 1985 in the United States were women and girls. Only 7% of AIDS cases in 1985 in the U.S. were women and girls. 20 years later, 
That percentage grew to 27%. 27% of HIV victims were women and girls. You know what that was a result of? Godless lifestyle. Physical relationships with HIV-infected men, often injection drug users themselves. Them and the women themselves were injecting drugs, possibly having relationships, and, and those account for 80% of the cases among those women and girls. Drugs, alcohol, immorality. Direct link to the rise of HIV among women and, and young girls. Do you think Satan told them that up front? Do you think Satan told that young girl that was getting involved with that guy, oh, he, he wasn't everything mom and dad wanted for her, and she thought she had the world by the tail. She thought she could handle the problem. She, she didn't think mom and dad knew what they were talking about. It's just going to be a good time. He's cute. He's good looking. Oh, he's, he's kind of a bad seed, but that makes it a little bit more interesting, and that makes it a little bit more, you know, uh, exciting. And you think Satan said, by the way, you're going to have HIV and you're going to be taking drugs your whole life or possibly die at an early age. Do you think he shared that with them? I don't think so. Satan doesn't work that way. Time after time we read about shootings that are the direct result of the vicious drug culture. Too many times we say things like, well, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you know what? There are times that you can't control that. I understand that. But you know what? That may be the case from time to time, but most of the time, we didn't belong there to begin with. Alcohol is by far the most devastating drug of all in America today. And yet we continue to perfect it, promote it. Girls are ravaged at at, at these drunken and drug-infested parties. Domestic violence continues to increase. Moms and dads uh, can be heard fighting and arguing in the home. Homes are broken. Lives are ruined. Dreams are shattered. Let me tell you something. The devil is a thief, and he wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your life. He wants to steal your testimony. He wants to steal your influence for Christ. He doesn't want you to be able to reach a family member. He doesn't want you to have any kind of opportunities to tell others about him. No, he wants to continue to perpetuate this wicked, sinful lifestyle that continues to devour God's people. John chapter 8, verse 44. Turn there if you would, please. John 8, verse 44. Let's get a description of this thief. Let's find out what his, one of his main characteristics is. John eight forty four, the Bible says, Ye are of your father the devil. He's talking, Jesus is talking now to a group of religious people. He's not he's talking to religious leaders, by the way. He's not just talking to a church congregation here. He's talking to a group of Jewish religious leaders. Because they were so deceitful. Because they would not recognize him as Jesus, God in flesh. Ye of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he, the devil, is a liar and the father of it. You know where every lie is rooted? In Satan. Every lie is rooted in Satan. Do you know, you know what one of the most important yet difficult things to teach your children not to do is? Lie. It is a lesson that must be learned immediately. I used to tell my kids growing up all the time, there's two things I can't stand, nor will I have in my house. A thief and a liar. I'll not have a thief and a liar in my house. Well, we went to, we, we, it, it went to the dirt when, when it came time for this lying thing. This is something I could not tolerate. Why? Because the root of all lying comes from none other than Satan himself. There's nothing good about it. Someone says, well, I lie to people sometimes or tell a little white lie to spare feelings. Well, just remember who the father of all lies is. 
Don't forget it now. He's the father of it. He is a liar. That's what Satan is. I want you to know if you are a child of God today, if you have been saved today, if there's been a time, a place when you put your faith in Christ, where you said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know there's nothing I could ever do to earn earn your favor. I realize that my good will never outweigh my bad. I know that I deserve hell. I know that down in my heart there's nothing good. Oh, God, forgive me for my sin. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Savior. If there's been a time and place when you something like that, doesn't have to be word for word, of course, but you recognize yourself as the sinner. You understood Him as the only Savior. You realized you needed salvation. And you called upon the Lord to get it, like the Bible says. Well, then you're saved today if you did it God's way. And if you're saved... You've been delivered from the oppressive clutches of the devil. But don't forget, he is forever seeking to bind you with sin and steal the joy and peace that you possess. The declaration has been signed, but the battle ensues. The declaration in blood, the Lord's blood, but the battle daily. He may not be able to gain your soul, but he can steal your joy and ruin your life. There's only one way out of this thing, and that's the fight. It's the battle. Independence and freedom always comes with a price. It never comes free or cheap. On March the 23rd, 1775, the 100 or more members of the Virginia House of Burgesses convened in the rich in Richmond to discuss security measures for the colony and possibly to elect delegates to the upcoming Continental Congress. The meeting was held in a small wooden building, the Henrico Parish Church, because it was basically the only place that had enough room to seat all the delegates and members. By this time, General Gage had directed a, 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 a excuse me, General Gage had directed action against leaders of the American colonies. All of the members knew of the plight of the Bostonians and that to take any concrete action against the crown could be labeled treason. They understood this. But Patrick Henry, at the age of 38, he had no fear. And he came to the assembly prepared. Almost immediately, he entered a motion that Virginia draft a plan for embodying, arming, and uh, disciplining a number of men for the purpose of defense after many of the members voiced serious opposition and charged that he was going too far. That there was still hope for reconciliation with Great Britain. Henry rose to defend his position. Seated in the crowded pews that day were Thomas Jefferson, Richard Henry Lee, and his three brothers, and another man by the name of Colonel George Washington. Mr. President, began Henry, it is natural to man to indulge in the illusion of hope. But are we disposed to be of the number of those who, having eyes, see not, and having ears, hear not? He then asked, what judged by the lamp of experience the British had done in the last ten years to give the people any hope? He said, are fleets and armies necessary to work, uh, is, excuse me, are fleets and armies necessary to a work of love and reconciliation? Let us not deceive ourselves any longer. These are the last arguments to which kings resort. He goes on to say, They tell us that we are weak, unable to cope, and so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Three millions of people, three millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. The battle, he says, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. And then, referring to British tyranny in Massachusetts, he said, our chains are forged 
Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? He concluded with a flourish. What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, you know what he said, give me liberty or give me death. (laughs) You know, today Christ calls upon his children to exhibit the same resolve in opposing Satan as the founding fathers did in opposing Great Britain and their oppression. We too must fight for independence. We too must fight to be free from the clutches of Satan. We must not allow him to rule our hearts or our lives. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible exhorts us, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. In 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, he once again reaffirms the fact that we are soldiers in a battle when he says, Thou thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath called him to be a chosen him to be a soldier. We need to stop kidding ourselves today as believers. And we need to realize that the devil offers us nothing good in this life. Nothing good. It's time to face the truth. You cannot balance an old life in sin with a new life in Christ. You can't balance it. You can't walk the tightrope. You can't straddle the fence. You have to get on one side or the other. And let me say, the only way you experience the true joy of the Lord, the only way you receive and experience that abundant life, according to John 10.10, is to yield, submit, surrender to Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. Joshua 24.14-15. Look there if you would. Old Testament, Joshua 24. What a tremendous passage this is. What an inspiration it is to each of us. The children of Israel, of course, have lost their great leader. They go into the promised land with Joshua now. They see tremendous conquests. We come to the end of, come to the end of uh, their, their battling, their fighting. Joshua's preparing to leave the scene. And notice what it says here in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse 14. We're going to see what this great man of God says. He's preparing to move on. And the people of God will have to go on. And he says, now therefore fear the Lord. Verse 14, Joshua 24, 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. Listen, did you just see what was said there? There were people in Egypt that were serving other gods. Why in the world do you think that when they got out into the wilderness, after they crossed the Red Sea, after God supernaturally delivered them even out of Egypt, Moses goes into the mount for 40 days and 40 nights. He comes out, and what had Aaron crafted? A golden calf. Why? Because the people of God were worshiping idols in Egypt. One of the reasons God delivered them out of Egypt wasn't just because of their bondage, physical bondage, but because of the spiritual bondage that they experienced. God wanted them to have the opportunity to live a life separated unto Him, serving Him completely. And may I say that Egypt represents the world. And therefore, for you and I today as believers, God wants us to be liberated, set apart from the world, to be free to serve Him. Amen. He goes on to say then, and, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a decision, a conscious decision to serve the Lord himself. And then he said, I'm going to take my family with me. We're going to serve the Lord. You choose what and who you're going to serve. But as for me and mine, we're serving the Lord. 
Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve two masters. And that's what the Bible's teaching us. And so today, we have choices to make. We either serve the Lord Jesus or we serve Satan. We have been already declared free. Free indeed. Free indeed. But it is a decision we make as to who we will serve now. Will we serve the flesh? Will we serve Satan? Or will we serve Christ and in the Spirit? It's a decision we make. A choice we make. So we choose to rule. So, today, I want you to know you're free already if you're a child of God. But you know what? Maybe you're not a child of God even. I don't know. But let me show you if you are. The, the Bible teaches us that... Uh, let's see. Cody, why don't you come on up here? I use Cody a lot. Come on up, brother. The Bible teaches us that although we're a child of God, that we can be bound by sin. And, and you know what? We have to be very careful. Let me read you a passage as I... I just want to read this. It says in Proverbs 5.22, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Proverbs 5.22, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. Now, 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ freed those signed that declaration in blood. Liberation. We're free in Christ. However, we choose whether we will be bound by sin and vice or whether we will not. It is a decision we make. Sometimes we say, well, when the Lord delivers me, then I'll, I'll stop doing this. When He takes those desires from me, then I'll stop doing this. When I no longer want to, then I'll not do it. No, you've got to understand you've already been liberated. It's just like the Declaration of Independence. The signers signed it. It wasn't until seven years later, though, that they realized it. It was a battle from that point on. And may I say, this young man, as well as every one of us in this room that named the name of Christ, will battle with Satan and sin, even though we've been made free indeed by Christ, and the Declaration's already been signed. It's as good as done, but the problem is, is we have choices to make now. Watch. This is what happens. This young man says, you know what? I think, I think I'm going to smoke some cigarettes. I think I'm going to drink some beer. I think I'm going to go ahead and take some drugs. I think I'm going to involve myself in some immorality by his own sins. Who, who can read that for me real quick? 522, Proverbs. Okay? His own iniquities. Hold them up. He chooses to bind himself, to allow Satan to bind him. His own iniquities, they're his, not, not the Lord's. The Lord doesn't give him that. The Lord doesn't tell him to do this. He chooses to do this. As a result, he becomes bound again. He was bound by Satan before he was saved. But he's declared free indeed by the blood of Jesus Christ at salvation. Now he chooses whether or not he will be bound by Satan or not. And that is a choice that each and every one of us makes. Will we allow vice, will we allow sin to take hold in our life, to bind us? Will we allow that to happen? i got to find I lost something here. We're in real trouble. Oh, there they are. We make that decision. Now listen, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ made it possible to be free. But that young man chooses. He chooses whether he'll be bound or not. Now, here's the problem, though. And, and sometimes this is where we're at. Maybe this is where you're at. Before you come to Christ as your Savior, you are already bound. You're bound. I don't care. You can say, I feel free. I'm making my own choices. I'm living the dream, preacher. I'm telling you, you are bound by your sin. You were born into sin you will live in sin, you will die in sin, and you will forever pay for your sin in a place called the lake of fire. Two thousand years ago, Jesus Christ paid for your sin and mine so that you could be liberated. He purchased these for you. 
in a sense. You make a decision as to whether or not you will continue to be lost in your sin, bound by Satan, or you'll let Jesus Christ become Lord of your life and free you from your bondage and enslavement. You are no better off than the children of Israel in Egypt. You are in the same predicament. Satan, will, he has no buddies. He has no friends. He has no uh, um, uh, confidants. He has only enemies. Satan hates you with all his heart. And all he wants to do is devour you, destroy you. And may I encourage you today, if you have yet to receive and accept Christ, would you understand that liberation is available? Because Jesus Christ signed that declaration 2,000 years ago in his own blood. And he is making salvation available to you. You do not have to leave this service not knowing where you'll spend eternity. You don't have to leave here wondering whether heaven will be your home. You don't have to guess whether or not God will be your father, the Lord Jesus be your, your, your brother, so to speak, in the, in the sense of faith, a friend indeed that sticketh closer than a brother. You don't have to worry about that. You can have Christ with you always, but you must exercise your will and receive and accept Christ. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved, he says. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him, the Lord Jesus, the iniquity of us all. It pleased him to bruise the Lord Jesus. Because he understood that only in bruising Christ could you be free from the bondage of Satan. And so, when you call upon the Lord to forgive and to save you and to come into your life and be your Lord, you can be free. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. I believe that you died for me and rose again. Right now, I invite you into my life. I ask you to be my Savior and to take me to heaven one day. Right now, I'm trusting only you. And that's exactly what happens. You're free. Someone says, it can't be that simple. It is. Because now, all of a sudden, this man has entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Lord God of heaven. Didn't say that his, his life wasn't going to be filled with some ups and downs. I, I'm saying he entered into a relationship. He was born into a family. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. He's born into the family of God. A spiritual birth took place. He's now the relationship of God. He's in God's family. Now, the question is, will he be obedient an obedient child. If he is not an obedient child, he will draw away and resist God, his father. You may have seen that in some lives of children where they reject mom and dad's leadership. They reject their authority. They don't want anything to do with mom and dad at a point in their life. They're rebellious and disobedient. And it, it doesn't change. doesn't change that they're mom and dad. doesn't change that that's their son of blood. It doesn't change that at all. They're still their child no matter what. But it does change their fellowship. And that's what is affected now. And that's why this young man cannot choose now at this point, after he's been freed of the Lord, to go back and say, Okay, bind me, Satan. Seems ridiculous, doesn't it? To go back into bondage when you're really free indeed. But that's what we do if we're children of God and we reject the Lord, His Word, his house, and we don't allow him to work and move in our life and lead us. Thanks, Cody. This is the fate of every believer today. You've been free indeed, made free indeed. Chains of sin can 
the chain of sin, the one that binds us and places us in hell, puts us in the clutches of Satan, has been destroyed. But you choose whether or not you'll be bound by Satan again. I trust that you've received Christ as your Savior. And if you haven't, I trust you will today. Do not leave here not knowing. Settle that. Don't be bound by Satan. Be free indeed. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Those colonists, they signed that declaration. It wasn't for seven more years after battling and fighting that they really realized their, their liberty. You know what? We're in a battle too. The Lord has signed the declaration in blood, but now we must battle if we're going to see freedom and liberty in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again.